Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So how are you doing with your social distancing? Just a few weeks ago, we couldn't have imagined life without driving to work, going to school, watching sports, taking kids to Little League or dance practice, eating out at our favorite restaurants, going to meetings and worship services with our church family. So many aspects of our normal lives have just been shut down. I remember years ago, I used to hear a lot of advice. I was never all that uh, technologically capable, but I remember hearing often that it was good for me to shut down my computer on a regular basis, to reboot it, to shut it down and start it again. Back then, the memories on computers and the hard drives were a lot smaller. And if you didn't shut the computer down regularly, and get rid of all of the extraneous programs that are running in the background, all the errors that have built up over time, that the computer would get sluggish, it would get inefficient, it would sometimes freeze up entirely. Well, we who are people made in the image of God also need to reboot our system sometimes. We need to set aside our work, set aside our responsibilities, stop all the running around, Clear our calendars, turn off our phones, turn off our computers, turn off our televisions. Set our focus on God by prayer and the word and reset our priorities and our values. We didn't plan for this. We didn't plan to have our lives so largely shut down and to be so restricted. But it is an opportunity and I pray that all of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ will take advantage of this opportunity to get physically, emotionally, and spiritually strong, healthy, 
during this time in which we are confined to our homes. I pray that this will be a time of real rest, a realignment of our priorities, and a resetting of our values according to God's word. It shouldn't take a worldwide medical crisis to get us to stop and reassess our lives. If we check the owner's manual that God gave us with life, the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, we're going to see that God is built into every week, one day, to do just that. To stop our work, stop running around, Focus upon him through prayer, through his word, through worship, and to be strengthened, to grow spiritually. In the Old Testament, it was called the Sabbath. In the New Testament, it's called the Lord's Day. And in this passage that we just read, the conflict that we're seeing as we've been going through the book of Luke, we're seeing conflict beginning to ramp up between Jesus and his enemies, and primarily the Pharisees, those who consider themselves expert in the law. And here, the conflict is over how to keep the Sabbath the right way. The most important verse, I think, in the passage that we just read is in verse 5, where Jesus makes this shocking claim. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Of course, the, name, the title Son of Man was the title that Jesus used for himself. It was a title that not only spoke of his humanity, but it more than that spoke of his being the Messiah, the promised one, the one who had come to reign over the kingdom of God. And he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He claims to be the one who established the Sabbath and the one who has full authority over it. And so when he speaks to how the Sabbath is to be kept, we should listen even if the Pharisees wouldn't. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but to fulfill it and to restore it to what the Lord always intended it to be. In that day, the Sabbath itself had become buried under so many man-made tradi traditions and restrictions that its beauty had been lost. And so as we study this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees over Sabbath keeping, we can learn how to keep the Sabbath as God originally intended it. And I think especially in this cultural context, this is a lesson that we need to learn again. The first incident that is recorded here involved the disciples of Jesus walking through a grain field. And as they are walking through the grain field, they grabbed handsfuls of the heads of the grain. And taking those heads of grain, they, they put them in their hands and they rubbed their hands together in order to make it so that they could eat what was left. They would get rid of the husks and they would re eat the good grain that was in them. Now, you might think, well, that was stealing, and maybe that's what the Pharisees were objecting to, is that this was not their field, it was somebody else's field, they were just walking by and they're stealing some of their crop. But actually, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, it was specifically allowed that if you are on a trip, if you're traveling, and you go by a field, you're allowed to take a handful and do exactly what the disciples were doing to get a snack for yourself. 
That's what they did back in those days before we had wah-wahs and sheets. The Pharisees' accusation wasn't that they were stealing, but that they were working on the Sabbath. Sabbath-keeping for the Pharisees was all about restrictions and prohibitions. What you weren't allowed to do on the seventh day of the week in the Old Covenant. According to their traditions, they had 39 different categories of work that weren't allowed on the Sabbath. And each, under each one of those categories, there were many subpoints of other of the types of that category of work that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. According to their rule book, what the disciples were doing was actually considered harvesting when they grabbed the grains of the heads of grain, threshing when they rubbed it in their hands, and preparing a meal when they ate it. And so they were breaking the Sabbath. Now, I just want to point out here that that is the very definition of legalism. When you add man-made rules to God's law and then treat those man-made rules as though they have the same authority as God's law. I think in some cases they are well intended at first. You don't want to break God's law, so what we tend to do with our man-made traditions is we set up fences that are more restrictive than what God's law says, so that if you don't cross the man-made fence, you won't get close to breaking God's law. You won't cross the boundary of breaking God's law. But the problem is, is when you treat those fences as though they're the same as God's law, and that's what legalism is, and that's what the Pharisees, that's one of their primary sins. Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. It's interesting, if you go to Mark's account of this in chapter 2 of Mark, he adds that before Jesus made that profound statement that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he prefaces that statement by saying, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now we read this out of context, in our cultural context, and what we want to, how we want to interpret that is to say, well, man gets to do whatever, you know, it's, it's for us. We get to do whatever we want to do. Well, obviously, that's not what Jesus is saying because he, the very next thing he says is, no, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who determines what proper Sabbath keeping is. But what he's saying in that preface is the Sabbath was meant as a gift to man. It was meant as a blessing to man. It was meant to be something to give man strength and joy it was something that was meant to be, we were meant to be thankful for. Not something that is a heavy burden to be carried around, to make us feel guilt and shame because we're breaking man-made traditions. And that's what it was in the days of the Pharisees. And so if we go back to the original, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, we go back to the original intent. We believe in that. We believe that we talk about the laws of God. We need to go back to the original intent, to the intent of God when the laws are made. And his scriptures will, tell, will lead us there. And the purpose, the main purpose of the Sabbath, if we go back to the beginning, is that the Sabbath was given as rest for the body and the soul. It was given as rest for the body and the soul. The word Sabbath itself comes from the Hebrew word for rest to cease from your labor. 
but it doesn't mean inactivity. And we will see that as we work our way through this passage. The Sabbath was part of the original creation. It's important to recognize that. That when God created the world, he established the Sabbath as part of his creation. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, after God had created the universe, the cosmos, in six days, it says in Genesis 2, 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. It is to be a holy day. What makes a day holy? Well, it doesn't mean holy in the sense of righteous, obviously. It means holy in the sense of being set apart from a common, ordinary use. The Sabbath day, as God intended it from the beginning, from creation, was meant to be a day that is set apart from ordinary and common use. It's not to look like the other six days of the week. God gives us six days to do our other responsibilities, to fulfill our calling. But he gives us one day as a gift where we can stop, we can rest, we can cease from our normal responsibilities and focus upon him. And so, even if Adam and Eve had not sinned, they still would have observed one holy day, one Sabbath day out of every seven as a time to stop and focus on their relationship with God, to love God and to love others. God rested on the seventh day And he basically was inviting Adam and Eve into that rest. And if they had not rebelled against his authority, if they had not sinned, they would have lived in that rest with God. And so that rest is a picture of the completion of God's work and the blessings of Eden and perfect fellowship with God. The Sabbath was so important that it was incorporated into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given under Moses as a summary of all of God's law. And one of the Ten Commandments is about the Sabbath. It's interesting that the Ten Commandments are given twice in Scripture. Once in Exodus chapter 20 and again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And they're identical in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 except for the Fourth Commandment which talks about the Sabbath. The fourth commandment is the only one that has a difference from the account in the Exodus and the account that's given in Deuteronomy. And the difference tells us what the two main purposes, the main things that we are to focus upon as we observe the Lord's Sabbath. And the first one is God's glory and God's work in creation. We are to remember his work in creation. Look at Exodus 20, verse 11. We are to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. To be godly is to be like God. And to be like God is to work six days and rest on the seventh as he did in the work of creation. But the other reason that's given in Deuteronomy 5 for remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, is that we are to use that day to remember our deliverance. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. We are to remember the Lord's day, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there you're given the two main 
reasons that we are to celebrate and to worship on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest. We are to worship God as our creator and we're to worship God as our redeemer. The old covenant people were to look back on the redemption, the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, which was a shadow, a foreshadowing of our deliverance through Jesus Christ from the power of sin and death. It's a day to celebrate redemption, to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate God's grace towards us. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the rest that the Sabbath day, and then in the new covenant, the Lord's day, is meant to celebrate. That's why the apostles in the early church changed the day of rest from the seventh day, as the Jews observed it, to the first day of the week. They, the Jews observed it at the end of their week on the seventh day, we celebrate our Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, on the first day of the week because that's the day when Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. That's the day he walked out of the tomb, having conquered sin, having conquered death, having conquered the evil one. And so as we rest, we worship the Lord of the Sabbath because he has given us our rest from sin and death. And so people will sometimes ask me, is the Sabbath one of those ceremonial laws? One of those laws like the laws about the, the animal sacrifices and the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple and the, the dietary laws, some of these ceremonial laws that were only shadows of who Christ is and what he would come to do? Is that what they were ceremonial? And therefore, when Christ came and finished his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, therefore the ceremonial laws are not to be kept any longer? Or are they of the moral law? Are they permanent laws? Laws that were intended from the beginning and that will continue to be in place as guidance for our behavior until Christ comes again? Are they ceremonial laws, the Sabbath laws, or are they moral laws? The answer is yes, they're both. They are foundationally moral laws. The, the, the law to rest, to observe the Sabbath is a moral law. We know that first for, for two reasons. One, it was established in creation before the fall, before sin. Secondly, it is part of the Ten Commandments. All the other nine commandments are moral laws. So is the commandment about keeping the Sabbath. But Unlike the other commandments, there is a ceremonial element to the Sabbath. The writer of Hebrews talks about how Christ came to bring us the rest that Noah couldn't give, that, that Moses couldn't give, that Jesus came to give us the rest. And by that rest, he's speaking metaphorically of our eternal rest, our return to Eden, our return to perfect fellowship with God in body and soul when Christ comes again. And so the Sabbath is a moral law that we are to keep in obedience to God, but it is also a picture to us of who Christ is and what he has come to do. And so we have two reasons to observe the Sabbath for our own spiritual well-being. It's a day of worship, a time to meditate 
upon our Creator and our Redeemer and what He has done for us. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Creator. Jesus is our Lawgiver. Jesus is our Redeemer and Jesus is our Judge. And this is our day, the Sabbath day, to focus upon Him in a unique way. Well, here in this incident with the disciples gathering some food on the Sabbath, this shows that Sabbath keeping, besides the main purpose of a day of rest and worship, it is also has a purpose with the Westminster Confession of Faith and its catechisms call the, another purpose of the Lord's Day, or something that's allowable, work that's allowable on the Lord's Day, is works of necessity. It is good to do works of necessity on the Sabbath. Jesus, in responding to the Pharisees' question, which was really an accusation, Basically, they're saying to Jesus' disciples, why are you breaking the law? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Jesus answers them with a question. And often his questions were much more devastating to his enemies' arguments than even the statements that he would make. He says, have you not read what David did? Now, there's got to be a little bit of a tone of sarcasm to that because, of course, they knew the story about David they knew the story about David after he was anointed to be the king, how Saul had murderous intent towards him and drove him out of his presence, and how David was on his run for his life from King Saul, how David and his men came to the tabernacle and asked the priests for bread because they were starving. And the only bread that the priest had available to feed them was the, what's called here the bread of the presence the bread of the presence of God, the bread from the tabernacle, the showbread, as it's called sometimes. These were 12 loaves of bread that were made in a very prescribed way. And then they were, after they had been baked, they were laid in two rows, 12 loaves of bread, six, six loaves each side, representing the tribes of God, representing fellowship with God. They were laid on a golden table that was in the holy place before the curtain that was before the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God. These loaves of bread, after they were made and laid out on the table, they would be there for a week. And then after a week, the old bread would be taken away, new bread, loaves of bread would be put in their place. And then the old bread was to be consumed by the priest. It was food for the priests, but only the priests. And so Jesus is pointing out here that when David received this from the priests and he and his men ate this bread, they were breaking a law given by God. But both David and his men and the priests themselves were not condemned for this. How do we understand that? Well, the way we look at it is that basically they had two laws at work here. One was the law about only the priest should eat this ceremonial bread from the tabernacle. But on the other hand, you had the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And as our catechisms explain so well, the commandment that you shall not murder means that you are to do all that you can within your power to preserve life. And David and his men were starving. They desperately needed food. And so the priest felt it was appropriate to take this bread that was meant only for priests and give it to David and his men. People in the church have been wrestling with this. Even in the Old Testament, we see examples where you're trying to uphold two different laws and not, not being sure how that works. Rahab 
had two spies come to her while she was in the city of Jericho. And the spies had come into Jericho to spy out the city. And they came to her and she hid them and she lied to the uh, law officials in, in the city about not, them not being there. They'd been there and they'd left is what she said. It was a lie. But she did this to protect their lives. And she and her family were blessed for her decision to protect and preserve the lives of these two Jewish spies. We know from our own uh, modern history, Corey Tenboom and her family in World War II hid uh, Jews from the Nazis and lied to the, the Nazis to keep them hidden. And we understand that that was the right decision to make, even though it was breaking one commandment of God in order to keep another. These are difficult situations that followers of the Lord must make at times. But you understand that Jesus isn't really wanting to get into a debate about the nuances of that. What the point he's making here is he's making an argument, one of the things he liked to do often is an argument from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if David could break one of God's laws about the bread of presence in order to keep another of God's law about preserving human life made in the image of God, then how much more is it right for David's greater son, the Messiah, the Lord of the Sabbath, how much more is it right for Jesus to break a man-made rule of the Pharisees in order to preserve the life of his disciples? And so what this speaks to is this area that the confession calls works of necessity. Things that must be done to keep order in society and to preserve life even on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day. Things like the kind of tireless work that's going on right now in our hospitals with doctors and nurses to preserve life, the work of policemen and firemen, the work of pastors. There are many works of necessity that are not only allowed, but are honoring to God that they are done even on the Lord's day. But the second incident that happens here also takes place on a Sabbath, and it shows us the importance of an even higher work on the Lord's day than works of necessity, which is works of mercy. On this Sabbath, beginning in verse six, Jesus is in a synagogue teaching, and there are Pharisees there. They've been, at this point in Jesus' ministry, they're following him around, they're lying in wait, they're looking for any opportunity to accuse him of either heresy or blasphemy, anything they can use to bring him down. And so they're in the synagogue watching and they recognize that there is a man there with, as Luke says, with a withered right hand. Remember, Luke's a doctor. And so he even points out it was his right hand. It was withered. It was atrophied. It was unusable. And the Pharisees noticed it and they're wondering among themselves, hey, we might have an opportunity here to get Jesus because Jesus may go ahead and heal this man in the synagogue on the Sabbath and then we would have a basis for accusing him for working on the Sabbath. Now again, going back to their complicated catalog of Sabbath man-made rules, they determined that it is okay to 
do something to try to medically preserve the life of another person if that life was in danger, if that person that was in a life-threatening situation, then you were allowed to do something to help them. But if it was not a life-threatening situation, you had to wait and not do it on the Sabbath. And so they looked at this man with a withered hand and said, well, that's not life-threatening. Let's see if Jesus heals him. Let's see what happens. In verse 8, it says Jesus knew their thoughts. And again, Luke likes to every once in a while point this out. Yes, Jesus was 100% fully human, but he also was fully God. And he knew the thoughts. He could read the thoughts. He could hear the thoughts of his enemies as they're plotting against him, as they're waiting to accuse him. And instead of avoiding a conflict, he actually provokes one. He invites the man with the withered hand to get up and come up and stand beside him in front of all the people in the synagogue. And again, he challenges his enemies with a question. He says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Now that's a question even a child could have gotten right. We are to cease from our normal work and our normal responsibilities to provide for our own living. But it is a good thing on the Sabbath if we serve the needs of others, if we reach out with works of mercy, if we reach out with compassion to care for one another. That is honoring to the Lord on the Sabbath. It's showing grace to others because we have been worshiping and celebrating the grace that's been shown to us in our redemption. Do you notice how Jesus words the question? If you look carefully at how he words his question, he's actually accusing his accusers. He's accusing his enemies. Basically, if I can paraphrase Jesus, what he's saying is, are you keeping the Sabbath by seeking to do good for this man to save his life? Or are you keeping the Sabbath, your form of keeping the Sabbath, is that seeking to do harm to me and to destroy my life? Because he knew the murderous intent of their hearts. After Jesus heals the man, the Pharisees are speechless again, as they always are after he confronts them. But it says in verse 11, they were filled with fury. And to confirm Jesus' implied accusation, they go out and begin to plot about what they might do to him. And so their murderous plan is begun. Well, let's go back to God's original intent and his ongoing intent for the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is not about a list of restrictions. I know in some of our homes we grew up where our families tried to keep the Sabbath, but they did it in somewhat of a legalistic way. And our memories of trying to keep the Sabbath are about what we weren't allowed to do, all the things that we liked to do that we couldn't do. And we tended to think of it as a boring day, an empty day. But really, honestly, that's not much of the problem in our culture anymore, even so much in the church culture, is that the Sabbath is lost. It's been dismissed either theologically or just by denial, by ignoring it. And it's been to the detriment of the spiritual health and well-being of the church of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath is a gift from God. It's given to us for our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. It's a holy day to be filled with rest from our normal work and activities so that we can focus upon and worship our Creator and our Redeemer. And it is a day 
to do works of service, to do good, to build up, to strengthen our neighbor, to do good works for our family, for our church family, for our neighbors, our friends, and even for our enemies. It's a day for works of compassion. It's a day set apart. Not an ordinary day, not a common day. And even though I strongly resist coming up with any lists of what is right to do on the Lord's Day and things that are wrong to do, there are some clear things you could put on that list, but they're, just, they're principles that you follow that are fairly easy to follow. In other words, is this something that helps me to focus upon the Lord and to worship Him, to see His glory in creation and, and, and in redemption? Is this activity going to do that? Or is it going to detract or, or take away from that? Is this, is this thing I'm going to do, is this part of my normal everyday work and responsibilities? Or is it something that I wished I could do on a normal day of work and responsibilities for somebody else, a work of service and compassion or mercy? Is this activity something that gives me spiritual strength and emotional strength and physical strength? Or is it something that drains me of these things? If you understand the purpose of the Sabbath that is now called the Lord's Day in the New Covenant, if you understand the purpose of it, it becomes this beautiful gift. Eugene Peterson gave us this quote. He said, Nothing less than a command from God has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. Let me read that again. Nothing less than a command from God has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. So much of modern American life could be described that way. So much of our lives as American Christians can be described that way. In what ways have we conformed to our culture? In what ways have we turned our back on this gift of a day of rest and worship and works of mercy? You know, our most common complaints in this life are that we either don't have enough money or we don't have enough time. It's interesting that in God's word, he asks us, he tells us to give us, to give him and to his church one-tenth of our money and one-seventh of our time. And the purpose of the tithe and the purpose of the Lord's day are the same. It's the Lord saying to us, do you trust me? Am I your creator? Am I your provider? Am I your redeemer? Do you trust me? And do you love me? And is your priority in life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or to seek your own kingdom in your own glory? This time of social distancing has some marks of the Sabbath, some elements of the Sabbath, things that occupy our time that now we can't do. We are shut down in many ways. The question is, how are we going to use this time? We could spend it watching Netflix. We could spend it doing work around the house that we want to do. There's nothing wrong with either one of those things. 
But first and foremost, let's use this time to draw near to the Lord, to strengthen ourselves spiritually, and to establish the Lord's Day. You're having worship at home now. Let's make the Lord's Day a holy day, a day set apart to the Lord, a day that as Isaiah 58 describes it, and I'll close with this, verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and a, the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's make the Lord's day, the Christian Sabbath, a day of delight, a joy, a treasure, and we will enjoy, we will enjoy the presence of the Lord, physical, emotional, and more importantly, spiritual strength from him as we draw upon his grace through the means of grace that he has given. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord's day. We ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we have cast it aside, ignored it, abused it. And Lord, as we have prayed in many ways during this unusual time of separation and shutdown, Lord, I pray that we would learn to observe the Lord's day as you intended it. Thank you for giving us the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who is risen from the dead, that we might have eternal rest in him. And Lord, I pray that this would be a time where our hearts are strengthened and our lives reflect that stronger spiritual strength as we serve him in this fallen world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.